Hey guys, it's Emma and Shannon and welcome back to our podcast. She's an engineer. Thanks for tuning in this week. In today's episode, we are going to talk about engineering consulting and medical consulting. So just for a little bit of background, I've now been working in the engineering consulting field for two and a half years, and I've worked at two different companies. So I just wanted to share some of my own personal insight working in this industry. And then Emma has done some research on medical consulting, which is pretty interesting. So we'll start off talking a little bit about what exactly is medical consulting. Okay, so a medical consultant or known as a physician consultant, they are a licensed medical professional, which means that they've gone through undergrad, they've gone through medical school. Um, Normally, they've also gone through residency and they have their medical license to practice medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've specialized in something and they have their medical license to practice. They work on the business side of the healthcare industry So unlike a traditional physician, they don't work directly with patients like you would think of in a normal, like, doctor-patient setting where, like, you go to the doctor and they, like, ask you questions, you know, when you have, like, a problem. Mm -hmm. So the physician consultants actually focus on the industry-client relationship rather than a patient-doctor relationship. And it can involve, like, many things. Like, the role varies dependent on where in the industry you are, what kind of company you work for, and if you're part-time versus full-time and what kind of projects you're working on. Generally, their job is to improve the relations and daily operations of hospitals and medical staff. Mm -hmm. Um, They can work as an employee of a consulting firm, like you do, Shannon, Mm -hmm. or as an independent contractor. And some of them practice medicine and see patients while also working on the side as a consultant. So it can be like a part-time job, you know, like moonlighting gig type of thing. Yeah. Um, And the goal of it depends on who they work for. So sometimes the goal might be to improve the function of the business. And in some others, it might be to improve the quality of care for patients. So they might work on, you know, QI projects. And sometimes it might be to improve the working environment for other physicians in like a particular hospital or medical practice, like Mm -hmm. working on wellness or just like how to improve physician duty hours, things like that. Mm-hmm. And generally, this entails being hired by a company to consult on a specific project that utilizes your ex- expertise. So you might advise a startup, you might help implement a new electronic medical or electronic health record at a hospital, or you might advise the electronic health record company on their software. You might educate physicians on a product or technology, like you could potentially either work for that electronic health record company and educate the physicians on how to use it, or you might work for, like, let's say, like a medical device company and educate physicians on how to use your products. Mm -hmm. You might give feedback about a product to a medical device company, like, for example, like surgical instruments, or about a drug in development by a pharmaceutical company. I know specific 
some specific physicians who actually do that. And you might also provide input to a medical drama like Grey's Anatomy, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, they have physician Mm -hmm. consultants to make sure that what they're portraying is accurate enough. Yeah. Cool. Uh, You know, the the situations that they're in might not be accurate, but (laughs) when they're in the OR, things are accurate. And Mm -hmm. they accurately show people like scrubbing in and keeping sterile. Yeah. Yeah. And they might, you know, provide information to the media, things like that. So there's like a lot of possibilities. So there's like, it's not like you're shoehorned in to only work in a medical device company or only work in a pharmaceutical company. So there's like a lot of companies in the healthcare arena who need the input of a physician. And yeah, there's just a lot of like patient-facing industries or even consumer-facing industries that might benefit from the input of a medical expert. Um, That's really interesting. I hadn't really heard about medical consulting, or at least I didn't know too much about it before this episode, but learning about it, it's like, it's cool that you could work in a variety of different areas if you want to go into that field. Yeah, I actually didn't know too much about medical consulting like what medical consultants were aside from, you know, medical consultants in the pharmaceutical industry or the medical device industry. That's like what I had envisioned, but there's mm-hmm. a lot more that they can do. Oh, um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to know because I know a lot of people think that after medicine, like you have to only see patients or only work in that specialty, but you know, you can do a lot of this work also on the side or, you know, instead, if you want better hours, things like that, you could Mm -hmm. do this after you've worked in the field for some years. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some specialized training that you need. So because you've gone to medical school, you obviously have the medical background, the, you know, electronic health record experience, the patient experience, but some companies might have other requirements for their ideal consultant. Some might need like a particular fellowship, like maybe they want someone who's specialized in like ultrasound. So they'll want you to do like an ultrasound fellowship. Some might want people who are experienced in business or experienced in media or other experience that's just like relevant to the specific question you're asking or whatever specific project you're working on. And some companies might require board certification or an active license. And in general, the more recent and the more pertinent clinical experience you have, the more desirable of a candidate you will likely be. So let's say someone who has gone to medical school and has gone through residency and has practiced as a physician for some years, you're probably more desirable of a candidate than someone who has just gone to medical school and Mm -hmm. decided not to go to residency and just directly go into consulting. I mean, there's definitely spaces in the field for that, but those are generally less medical consulting jobs. And a lot of people will go into like just purely business consulting if they're just graduating from medical school and not going into the industry. Like they might work on Wall Street, they might work in finance or, you know, 
just general business consulting. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense, but that's actually probably the biggest difference between medical consulting and engineering consulting is you can start off entry level in engineering consulting and work mm-hmm. your way up. But it sounds like for medical, you really already need to be a subject matter expert or have some technical expertise before then moving into the consulting field. Yeah. And like, you know, it does also make sense because there are lots of companies are basically hiring you for specific types of projects or your, you know, your expertise in, you know, working with these specific types of surgical tools might come in handy. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. There are also physician consultants in law. And so actually physicians are often called upon to provide expert witness testimony in malpractice cases. And so when the science behind a case is complex and hard to understand, the attorneys that are working on these cases often rely on physicians to inform the jury of the circumstances. And so they might also be called upon to testify in also a criminal case or even murder trials to testify on the medical matters of those cases. Um, But you don't have to work as a physician consultant in or you don't have to appear on the witness stand even if you're working as a physician consultant in law. So You might also, you know, work in the pretrial phase if that's like something that you're not comfortable with if you don't want to appear on the witness stand or address a jury. But I think it would be more helpful to the lawyers if you were to do so because it obviously looks better if you have like a subject matter expert directly in the trial or directly addressing your audience rather than you're saying that this is like something that you know, a subject matter expert told you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they often hire physicians to simply define injuries and illnesses, and they provide general medical or, like, mental health information, and that's, like, common in preparation for trials. Um, They'll utilize physicians in declaring someone, like, unfit for trial, for example. So you can also do this, like, on the side, in addition to, like, your normal practice, I don't know if any physicians just do this primarily, because I would imagine you also need, like, recent medical experience or recent patient interaction experience mm-hmm. to be able to do this job properly, Um, although just knowing the anatomy and just like knowing like medicine definitely does help for these things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are other places that also hire physician consultants like the federal government, the social security administration will sometimes hire medical consultants to evaluate disability claims. And then other agencies like the FDA, they rely on consultants to provide testimony when they're considering approval for new medications. And then as we talked about earlier, medical device companies also provide consulting opportunities for physicians. They hire consultants to provide advice on new products or to assess liability issues for the company. And yeah, just like working as a physician consultant is a good way to combine your love of medicine with another area of interest or expertise. 
-hmm. Like, for example, you know, because I worked in bioengineering and I worked in medical devices and I'm also going to work as a physician, like that might be something to be interested in in the future because Mm -hmm. I have both of those experiences. Yes. Yeah. And then what are the qualifications that you need to be a medical consultant? So as we said before, you need to be board certified and licensed to practice medicine in your state. And like also, like we said before, some medical students also choose to skip residency and go straight into consulting after obtaining their MD. Um, It would make them like a medical business consultant, but not a true physician consultant because you need to be licensed as a physician to be a physician consultant. But that definitely is a road people can take if they truly do not want to go into patient care. Um, But to be a physician consultant, it's important to have clinical care experience. And so it might also be important to have training in a unique specialty like emergency medicine, internal medicine, you know, surgery, radiology, things like that. And the more specialized training experience you have, the easier it will be for you to consult in your specific specialty, your specific niche. Um, There are lots of consultants that also need experience in healthcare policy and healthcare financing. So like you might be tasked with helping a hospital improve their billing practices. And so you'll need to know the ins and outs of how the current financing structure works. So those are more of like the business sides of things. And you'll also know how to need to know how to gather and analyze data to, you know, gather data maybe for QI projects, things like that. And you'll need to know how to, you know, just like work with other members of the hospital staff. You'll need to know how to work with the other physicians and administrative staff to get to the goals that you want or to, you know, complete your project. That's basically it. Just something important to note is that, you know, the reason that some people might want to become a physician consultant is that if you're currently a practicing physician, you're probably aware of how things operate and like the changes you want to see put into place at the hospital or maybe the practice you are working at, or even like you're looking at a specific surgical tool and you're saying, hey, like this is a deficit that I see. Like this is something that can be improved on. So as a physician consultant, that's something that you can work on and you can put those changes in place and recommend those to the companies. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's better for you and it's better for your patients as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Well, I feel like I learned a lot from that transitioning over to engineering consulting. So formally, consulting engineers offer professional engineering services and expertise to both public and private organizations. They work on short-term projects for different companies rather than being employed in-house. And consulting engineers act as independent agents, basically, and advocates for their clients and are responsible for finding innovative solutions to technical problems and providing strategic advice to businesses in in management. So basically, engineering consulting is you are working in a third-party company and you have clients. So you can have public or private sector clients, and public sector clients include different municipalities, counties, states, federal agencies. You can also work for private companies. Um, In environmental engineering, 
we consulting engineering companies have done work for, let's say, mining companies is an example of a private sector organization. So you can do work for all of these different companies and pursue work with with all of them, too. So pros and cons of consulting versus working specifically in the public sector. And this is, I think, a big question that a lot of engineering students have when they're looking for their first job out of school is deciding which area do they want to start off in or get their first job in because there's pros and cons to both and so one of the biggest ones is probably pay for engineering consultants it is a lot of high it's higher pay but you have higher expectations Um, but with that higher pay you actually have lower benefits or your benefits aren't as good as if you were to work in the public sector, which has really good um, retirement 401ks and de- like better benefits. So that's something to consider. Um, I also want to note that if you start off in consulting or on the private side, you can always go public too. Like It's pretty normal to switch in between consulting and public just depending on what suits your interests and what you want to prioritize or what works best for you. Consulting tends to be faster paced than public sector. You're working on a lot of projects and they have tight deadlines and sometimes the deadlines overlap and it's pretty quick. Whereas if you work for the public sector, sometimes things get stalled along the way, might take longer to come to a decision on something. Um, So it might be a little bit slower. For consultants, I would say they tend to have more flexible work schedules and you can work from variety of locations. And what I mean by that is basically you need to be available when your clients are available. And as long as you get your work in around that time, then that's fine. Whereas if you work for a city, let's say you have to probably go in every day and work eight to five. So work like a regular work hours. And then for consulting, if you work for a bigger consulting company, um, you could probably like move around offices if you wanted to, or you might have more flexibility when it comes to working from home or hybrid schedules than when it comes to a public entity. So the biggest transition for me or the biggest learning curve for me going into engineering consulting is understanding that you're doing work for your clients and Although it's your project, in the end, like your client, you have a contract to like give this project to the client so then they can then build it or however it is, but you're like doing work for someone else. So you don't exactly, or you don't necessarily own all of the pieces to a project. You can, um, but sometimes you're just doing like a small piece in a larger project. And another thing is understanding the importance of communication with clients and different clients have different styles of communication and just being, I guess, improving your verbal and written communication skills to make sure that you are conveying your design properly and accurately to clients. And then working for different clients, I think It's to be expected that there might be unexpected changes on a project or different items or different things that might stall a project for months on end. So it's really 
like a lot of your project timeline is dependent on the client so you have to cater your schedule around them and if there's any holdups on their side then it affects you too so kind of being a lot more flexible in your schedule and I guess the project itself and then going along with working for clients as a consultant you work on multiple projects with multiple clients at one time versus if you're just working for the state or the EPA or a city where you're working maybe on a few projects at one time, but they're all related or they're at least all for the same company. And as a consultant, this gives you the ability to work on a variety of projects and you can work on projects potentially across the country or across the region that specifically for me, like doing stormwater projects, I've worked on projects in Idaho and Washington and Oregon and learning about each of the state's different stormwater design standards has been interesting, but also can be tricky because every state, every city has different specifications, standards, so you need to make sure that you are catering each of the projects to the specific client. It's not exactly copy-paste from one client to the other, but it gives you the variety to learn a lot more and learn how projects differ across different cities and states in, in the country. And then with that, you get to specialize in a specific project area. So if you really like one particular project, you can work on a lot of projects, uh, a lot of those types of projects just for all of the different clients. Whereas I think in a public sector, you might have different types of things that you're working on, different tasks that you're working on to help the city. But in consulting, if you want to be a subject matter expert, you can pretty much do that and then act as this expert to all of your clients and propose different innovative solutions or help them with their design challenges. And then I know a lot of people in engineering consulting talk about, you know, do engineering consultants work overtime? Is it higher stress compared to the public agencies? And it really depends. I think if you want to work overtime in engineering consulting, you can. Depending on the firm, you probably, I don't think you probably required at any firm, but some firms do have different expectations for you. Um, And I think you learn a lot about time management and engineering consulting, working on all these different projects. So it's not a requirement to work over your 40 hours. I think you can if you want to, um, and hopefully that is not forced upon anyone to work over 40 hours. So for overtime, do you get paid overtime? Can you like bill time and a half to the project? Or is it like you just work overtime because, you know, just over your 40 hours and you're salaried? That is a good question because it is very dependent. Whatever firm you work on, it does it differently. And this is also a difference between consulting and public agencies. So the companies that I've worked on and seems to be pretty common across the board is if you work over your 40 hours, you'll get your regular hourly pay for each mm-hmm. of those hours. Okay. Um, I have heard of some engineering consulting companies that just pay you, they won't pay you any extra money for working over 40 hours a week which I'm not a big fan of because I don't think it's necessarily fair if, you know, you signed up to work 40 hours a week and you work over that Mm -hmm. and you're not getting paid for your time. Right. But if you work for a public agency, a lot of the time they will pay you time and a half or more money if you work over 40 hours a week. Okay. Got it. Yep. And then getting into utilization rate and billable work. So 
billable work and utilization rate. These are terms that are used in engineering consulting. And a utilization rate is the percent of your time that is billable where you can bill to a project. And you have to keep track of your time as a consultant. Um, and at least at the companies I've worked at, they like you to track your time down to the 15 minute mark. So you just have to keep track on what projects you're working on and bill it accordingly. So there's also some expectations on how much of your workload you should be billing to projects versus to overhead. And in consulting, it seems like for entry-level engineers, it's between a 90 to 95 utilization rate. So let's say if it was a utilization rate target of 90%, then if you're working 40 hours a week, then four of those hours can be to overhead or just like general things that you're doing. But the rest of your time needs to be billed to project work. Is that difficult to track your time? Like, does that take a lot of thought? It does. And I think you just have to get used to... I. So I've done it a few different ways. Um, I've done it in just like a notepad or OneNote, Microsoft OneNote, where you're tracking it. Every time you switch a project, I'll just note the time that I switch the project and like when I start the other project. And I really try to only switch projects like on the 15 minute mark of an hour because that's just easier to track. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. So unfortunately I had an IT issue and had to get a new computer, but I've created like, I at least I used to have an Excel spreadsheet where you could just more easily track it. Like you didn't have to add up hours each day. You just had to put in what projects you're working on in different time slots. So it does take time away from your work to track this. And it sometimes is a headache too, because uh, at least at the company I work at, if you don't put your hours in for each day, you like the next day, you'll get emails every two hours. It says like, please enter your hours. And they'll just keep sending you emails. So it's very crucial to track your time, even Mm -hmm. though it's quite tedious. Got it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then I just wanted to touch on the project process. And I know we've talked about this in different episodes in the past, but for projects as an engineering consultant, you can get projects a few different ways. Two of the most common ways are either one, getting a project directly from the client, and this is called sole sourced, where the client reaches out to you. And a lot of the times for sole source projects, it needs to be the total budget of the project needs to be under a certain amount of money, let's say $100,000 or $150,000. So if it's under that amount of money, sometimes clients are allowed to just seek out one engineering company that they've worked with in the past and they like their work and ask them to, to do that work for them. The other common way to get a project is a client will open up a request for a proposal or a request for qualifications, RFP, RFQs, and they'll send it out to a few different engineering companies and ask them to put a proposal together. And the proposal is basically descriptions of everyone on your team and any projects that your company has worked on that are similar. And The expectations for how long the proposal should be and what exactly it includes, it's really up to the client. So the client will give those details and your company will put together a proposal and send that over to the client. From there, you may be selected directly um, from the proposal process or you might have to interview. So 
a lot of the times the the clients will narrow it down to top two or three engineering consulting companies that they're interested in and then have a formal interview process with the 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 project team so let's say once you're selected for a particular project what happens next As an engineering consultant, you develop a scope of work. And this is really important because it just details everything that you're going to work on for the client. And it also has different assumptions in there that say like who's doing what, what the client is going to provide, what information, background information, etc. versus what the consultant is going to provide. And also has assumption of different hours that are going to be billed to the project and then deliverables. If there's 30% design, 60% design, and exactly the breakdown of those deliverables and and sometimes due date too. You'll often put together a schedule. So the client will put together the scope of work, or I'm sorry, the consultant will put together the scope of work, send it to the client, and then there'll be contract negotiations. If the client has any questions or concerns on the scope of work, it may be change to to just come to that um, negotiated price and and schedule and then once you receive the signed contract from the client you can start executing the work and the length of work type of work really depends on what project you're working on and the client sometimes clients will ask for particular pieces of the project that might be outside of the scope and that's something to be aware of too because you need to write the scope so that it protects you and also the client too so if the client is asking you to do additional work but it's not written in the scope you need to make sure that you change the scope accordingly and have that written down too so you will be paid fairly for your time and effort on a project. And then along with that, there's a lot of project management pieces that I'm not really going to get into, but you have to submit invoices to the client so they can pay, um, make sure deliverables are turned in on time, and you'll eventually go through project closeout. And that's essentially the project process as far on the, the engineering consulting side of things. That was really interesting. I didn't actually know about all of this. I knew about some of this because one of my friend's moms in like middle school and high school, she worked as a civil engineer in like one of the towns that are nearby. And she described to me about how they like bid for projects or how they get, they get companies to bid for projects, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know all the pieces behind it. So. Yes. And I'm certainly learning a lot more about that process I'm actually the deputy project manager on a project that I'll, I'll bring up a little bit later, but like learning about all of those contractual pieces and client relations has been mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yeah, it can like set you up to be like a good, a good manager for sure mm-hmm. if you know about all of these pieces. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. So next we're going to just talk a little bit about like bioengineering consulting and so bioengineering consulting is like very similar to like what you said mm-hmm. shannon um most of the time it's like you work for a consulting firm and you either you know work on projects with other companies or you'll work on projects within like the government as well like 
as we said before, like in the medical consulting, bioengineering consultants can also work for the FDA. They can also, you know, consult for the NIH and things like that. But specifically in biotech consulting, um, there's a lot of like regulatory standards. So I think that's what a lot of consultants do in biotech. There's like regulatory standards with the FDA in terms of medical device, like submitting a medical device for review for the FDA. Even after a medical device is approved, you still have to go through a process where you're reviewing it every so often and you're tracking data. And so that's something that a medical consultant can definitely help out with and work on. And I can imagine that it would be more beneficial to also have experience perhaps working at the FDA or working like in a regulatory department before you do something like that. So a biotech consultant in general is just an advisor to executives and managers who direct and oversee operations within a biotechnology company. And they provide guidance and support improvements and developments in efficiency, product efficacy, and the organizational processes of the company. They often have substantial knowledge and expertise about the scientific and technical approaches to planning, developing, and distributing products and services within industry markets. So particularly like in the medical device market, they might have experience in medical device design, uh, medical device production, and medical device approval. So... They're also responsible, they can be responsible for reviewing a company's current operations to determine which processes require improvements or modifications. And other primary job duties also include assessing financial data, budgets, and resources to determine approaches to securing funding. Um, you know, sometimes people might be like applying for grants within the government so they can help out with that. They can evaluate current production processes to identify areas that need improvement. They might collaborate with other consultants and internal teams to develop improvement plans. They also, as I said before, they review current regulatory standards and they consult with the executives and managers to ensure compliance with the regulatory standards. They might make suggestions to adjust biotechnology processes that create commercial and consumer products. And they also might assist managers in making decisions about projects. They might assist and making decisions about production schedules, budgets, resources, and like staffing needs. And mm -hmm. so these are all like general also engineering consulting job descriptions. I think just like biotechnology in general is I think more of the expertise on the regulatory processes and just like mm -hmm. medical device and drug development that sort of thing is just the more specialized part of mm -hmm. bioengineering consulting. Yes, I can see a lot of overlap with the civil and environmental engineering field too, like you said. Like you can work for regulatory agencies 
and maybe be more on the permitting side of things. Um, I did a lot of permitting at my first job. You can also work in planning or you can work in design and really in engineering consulting, like across all boards or all different fields of engineering, you can work on anything you're interested in, kind of just need to find that niche and need to know what company that you're looking for too, because some companies focus in on different areas. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then in like for general career paths in engineering consulting, there's really three main paths. You can go down the technical path and really become a subject matter expert in a particular area and just staying more technically minded most of your career. You can go down the project management path, and sometimes you'll start in technical and then move to one of these other areas. Um, But yeah, manage different projects on large scale, small scale, doing more of the scope of work, budgeting, and scheduling. And then lastly, you can go down the client services path. And this is much more forward-facing of the company, like you are representing the company to different clients and you're strategically going to different meetings or conferences and engaging in clients and trying to bring in more work. So you're really like the face of the company if you go that way. And a lot of the time, it's not going to be as separated as these three paths. So you'll have some sort of a combination of these three as you continue into your career. And then lastly, I have a few different pieces of general advice for people going into engineering consulting that I've learned over the past two and a half years that I think is really important. And the first one, although this is very specific, when you are given a task, you need to make sure that you ask whoever is giving you that task or the project manager about where to bill your time. So you have a different project number for each of your different projects. So make sure you know where to bill your time project number and task number, what the schedule is, and budget. So how many hours can you spend on this project? Because budgeting is very crucial, so you want to make sure you're sticking to the original budget and schedule. Another thing is making sure you present yourself well in front of clients and making sure that if you have an in-person meeting, you're dressing up to like nice professional clothes um, and you're just really like presenting your best self when you're engaging with your clients. Then if you're doing any sort of engineering calculations or design, um, tech memos, make sure that you read over it and you look for any mistakes and it's also sent through an internal quality control process, um, QC process to make sure that there's no like minor mistakes before you ever send it out to a client. So make sure you always get someone else's eyes on a project. It's quality controlled. And then if something you send to a client is a draft version, you always have to write draft in like big, bold red letters on each sheet of the the page or the document because you don't want that to get passed to the wrong person and someone thinks it's final. So either write draft or not. construction if it's not finalized and you're sending it to the client and then lastly the more that I'm in consulting the more I learn it's such a small world and people are constantly moving around the industry so if you're staying in a particular industry like me staying in the water industry in Boise People just kind of shift around every few years. People move from consulting company to consulting company or consulting company to city. 
and you're always interacting or at least you often like interact with the same people but maybe in a different capacity so you never know who's going to be your client or your coworker next and funny enough sometimes things come back around too you never know what project you worked on in the past might come back up in your present aka stormwater sampling So I think it's pretty fun to be a consultant, um, especially early in your career too. If you have that drive, you have that energy to work a little bit more stressful job, then I think you can get a lot out of it. Um, Also, like you can easily transition from consulting to public down the line too, or vice versa. Do you ever see yourself doing that, transitioning from consulting to public? I'm not certain. I... I would consider transitioning to academia, like I've mentioned before, potentially going down the PhD route, but I don't know if I would go public. Okay. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We hope you guys learned a lot from this episode. I know I learned a lot from Shannon and also from researching for this episode, and we hope you guys enjoyed. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you, you know, in the U.S., And we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye.